Secure your digital world in physical form with IM8Bit. For over 15 years, IM8Bit has been crafting premium expansions of the industry's best games, from pioneering community experiences for Epic's Fortnite World Cup to bringing over 100 award-winning soundtracks from breakout hits like Untitled Goose Game and Disco Elysium to vinyl, and bringing the Ori sequel to Switch. Their passion for artistry and gaming fuels them, whether they're interpreting beloved brands from a new point of view or extending the mythology of another game, perhaps one you're developing. What's the IM8Bit difference? Their collectibles are premium, but for IM8Bit, they're personal too. See for yourself at im8bit.com. Hi, and welcome to the Game Maker's Notebook. I'm your host, Robin Hunnicky, and we're here today with Dr. Mitu Kandakar, who is uh, a professor at NYU. She's also uh, the founder, uh, co-founder of Glow Up Games and has had many, many adventures in the space of gaming, tech, and AI. She has a PhD in AI. And today we're going to talk a lot about her journey, both um, in the early part of her career when she was um, when she was founding companies and getting her PhD onto her uh, career as an educator and then onto Glow Up, where she's been working in the space of creating a title with a with a black creative lead and a black co-founder, talking about the representation issues that we face in the industry and also ways that we can change the face of both fundraising and supporting uh, creators of color. It's really fantastic to talk with Mitu. She's been in my life for quite a while now, and it's so great to see her thriving and shining. Her game comes out in a couple of, eh, let's say, in the fall of this year was what we'll say. Um, and we're really looking forward to that as well. Here she is, Mitu. Welcome to the Game Makers Notebook, a podcast featuring a series of in-depth one-on-one conversations between game makers providing a thoughtful, intimate perspective on the business and craft of interactive entertainment. The Game Makers Notebook is presented by the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, a member-driven organization dedicated to the recognition and advancement of interactive entertainment. So happy to have you here with us today, Mitu. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be here. Thanks. Could you please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you first fell in love with games? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so again, really, really wonderful to be here. Um, honored to be on this podcast. So um, yeah, I uh, I wear a few different hats uh, within the within the game space writ large. So I'm uh, I'm an assistant arts professor at the NYU Game Center. So I've been teaching game design there for the last uh, six years now. I feel like that time has gone by very quickly. Um, and then I'm also CEO and co-founder at Glow Up Games, which is a mobile games company um, creating diverse games uh, for uh, you know for a diverse audience and really just you know our, our whole thing is that we want uh, the sort of wider industry to sort of uh, wake up to kind of you know what we call like the the largest hidden audience within games which is you know diverse and marginalized players so that's kind of our whole thing um, to go back to sort of how how all of this came to be um, so, you know, I've I've done various things in and around the game space for the last, oof, I guess, 13 years now. Um, and, you know, the way that I fell in love with games originally was when I was, uh, you know, when I was very young, um, I, uh, I grew up in a household, like I'm from, I'm from a South Asian background. So I grew up in a household with 
um, my a lot of sort of relatives, uh, sort of you know very uh, very large household with you know older cousins and uncles and a uh, lot of lot of chaos uh, <laughs> and a lot of playfulness. Um, but in those days, so my my older male cousins and uncles would basically have you know whatever whatever game consoles were around. I remember you know the earliest ones I remember uh, were the Commodore sixty four and Sega Master System, you know, which we had uh, in the in in the UK. And uh, basically, I would just you know sneak into their rooms and try and play try and play games when they weren't around and eventually they uh they caught me and relented and they're like okay fine we'll give you like we'll give you our hand-me-down consoles when we're done with them so I then sort of grew up in a context where I was you know I'm the oldest of three sisters so I was kind of playing games with my youngest sisters um and that was just something that we would do together um, and my, my mum would also join in and then she'd be like, you know, don't tell, don't tell your dad <laughs> that I was playing games. So, uh, it was, it was a, it was a, it was a sort of fun, uh, sort of, uh, you know, it was like, a, I have just very fond memories of kind of playing games with my family. Um, but I think, you know, I think like a lot of people, I didn't realize that, making games was something you could do um, until a little bit later. I was definitely in that sort of category of like, oh, I guess games just grow on trees or something. Uh, but I actually realized, hilariously, I realized because of um, the old Nickelodeon show, Clarissa Explains It All. There was, so Cla Clarissa herself, uh, as played by Melissa Joan Hart, who would go on and play the uh, original Sabrina the Teenage Witch, um, but she would occasionally do this thing where she was trying to problem solve whatever her like issues with were with her bratty little brother or her parents, and she would make a game to try and solve her problem. And I don't know, I don't actually remember how many episodes this actually happened in, but I know it made a big impact on me because I realized like, oh, huh, making games. Uh, and so it's, I think it's one of those cases that I say now of um, if she can see it, she can be it, you know, just yeah. even something as silly as like representation on this like old Nickelodeon TV show of this like 13 year old girl making games just made, made a big impact on me. So that's really where the sort of spark came along for me. That's fantastic. Actually, I, I don't think I've ever heard of that. And I think it's a, it's a great story because it's, it's, it's an addition to the idea that you actually enjoyed the games is that you had a role model. And I think, you know, you know, as, as we look at the pathway across time, you know, in games, like say from when I started in the very early 2000s, you know, you coming on the scene, like, when did you, when did you sort of come into gaming professionally, would you say? What was yeah, the... so I came to, so what happened was in, um, so uh, in, in college um, or university, uh, uh, I, I did computer engineering um, yeah. to a master's level. And after that, I started on a PhD program in creative technologies, which was, you know, basically I was lucky enough to uh, you know, to join that department, which was kind of an inherently interdisciplinary department of like comp sci people and sociology people and other people and, you know, other folks at the University of Portsmouth in the UK, um, uh, where Dan Pinchbeck originally, who was like one of the first PhDs out of that department. And so he was one of my, uh, he was one of my supervisors, but I started on that, um, that PhD and immediately I, um, you know, I was, uh, so I, I ended up doing a, uh, a sort of 
entrepreneurial scholarship, uh, which brought me to the US for the first time. And this was 2007. Um, so this was with the Kaufman Foundation in Kansas City. So they invited me and nine other grad students from the UK over. And, you know, the idea was that, oh, they're going to implant sort of, you know, entrepreneurial culture from the US <laughs> to the UK um, uh, through the through the lens of like, you know, us 10, uh, you know, various, various grad students from technical backgrounds. And, you know, and so as part of that, you know, it was it was basically about eight months that I spent um, I went to Kansas City first, which is where the Kaufman Foundation is based. And they set up this amazing cultural program of us, which was, you know, the first few days they took us to monster trucks. They took us to lots of barbecue. It was uh, that was my immersion into U.S. culture. But uh, that was also the first year that I ended up going to uh, GDC. Um, so that was, uh, you know, uh, it was also the year that I as part of the, that whole experience, I spent some time at. Uh, at the MIT Education Arcade, so I was working with um, folks like Scott Osterwill and um, and you know hanging out with the folks at Gambit. So yeah, I guess like 2007 was really the time when I sort of entered into that sort of you know the the sphere of games. You know, I was actually I was just looking because I think my first encounter with you was as the result of the BAFTA Breakthrough Brits program. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, so, so when when was that? If you were if your first trip to GDC was two thousand seven, mm. um, th when did you when did you end up in the Breakthrough Brits program? Do you remember? Yeah, that was actually twenty thirteen. So the Breakthrough Brits program. Yeah. So that was I'd actually been to a few fair few GDCs by that point, um, and and you know I had a whole journey um, <laughs> up to that point as well. But you know, yeah, I was lucky enough to be selected as a BAFTA Breakthrough Brit in 2013, which was a result of having released um, Redshirt, which was, you know, my first commercial game um, that I made sort of solo. Um, and yeah, it was um, it was a real honor because, uh, you know, we were able to, through the, you know, through the help of BAFTA, uh, we were able to sort of request um, sort of the mentors that we wanted to be connected with. Um, and so on my list, uh, I had put, uh, <laughs> Uh, I, can't, I can't remember who else was on my list now. I put uh, Will Wright. So I actually ended up spending um, a day with Will and I put you. So <laughs> that's how we ended up getting connected because I knew you were somebody who, you know, you were doing you were doing all the things. You were doing sort of an AI PhD. You were also in you know, game production. So I was just like, yeah, I want to talk to her. <laughs> you know, it's so funny because that, like, if you just think about it, it's like you go from watching this show to 2007, you know, through 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 your own scholarship and interest in innovation, you end up in the U.S. and sort of meeting the GC community. And then by 2013, you're being celebrated. You've shipped a game. Like that is just like that's an amazing launch. You know, just to just to just to think about it now, like so rapid. And at the time, I feel like you really stood out because you had finished your degree. You had made your own game and shipped it and learned a bunch while doing so. And I think in that first conversation by then, we were really kind of discussing, you know, your lessons learned and also like what you wanted to do next step. So like, let's go to that 2007 to 2013 period. Like, what were some of the things that you would say were key in that period of time? Like you're working as a researcher, you're thinking about making games. You know, how were you were you sure you were going to choose between them? Did you know you wanted to go into commercial gaming? Like, where were you at that time? 
Yeah, so in that 2007 to 2013 time period, I, I actually did various things. And I think this is still emblematic of who I am now, where I just have like at my very core the need to be like, to, to just be doing several different things at once. Um, I think that's just part of, my, yeah, I mean, it's just part of my personality. It's also just, you know, I think, uh, as I've come to term with probably like slight ADD <laughs> tendencies, but, uh, but no, it's something that, um, you know, uh, it, 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 it's something that I've learned, you know, to sort of um, the, the benefits of as well as, you know, how to rein that in. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think a lot of us are similar in this space, right? Like, you know, I think there is something about our sort of personalities. Um, but yeah, into that, so um, in that sort of time period, um, as well as kind of continuing on my doctoral research, which actually was, you know, it was it was it was definitely interdisciplinary, like I said. Um, and what I was most interested in was the idea of how do we relate to characters um, and our sort of emotional experience of games differently, depending on the kind of, um, you know, the level of like technological immersion that we're placed within and therefore, you know, the sort of sense of embodiment that we have in a, in, in a game space. And so this is, um, you know, this was uh, like before, before the sort of, um, uh, extra attention got put on got put on VR again, just like you know, just just when uh, like Oculus was first coming out, etc. So this was, um, you know, I, I I guess I like to say I was a VR researcher before it was like cool, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but it was um, so I was sort of doing that. But then at the same time, uh, and this is where the sort of uh, like doing multiple things at once thing comes into play. I also actually had co-founded a um, a location-based game startup um, uh, in, in Silicon Valley. So in 2009, 2010, I actually took some time out of my PhD, uh, moved to San Francisco uh, for about a year. And, you know, this was in the days when uh, sort of social check-in services were like first becoming uh, kind of kind of becoming the rage, like, like you know, Foursquare, Foursquare, Four Gowala, all of those things. Yeah. And, you know, everybody was talking about the Facebook social graph. So I effectively, you know, just built like a gameful uh, layer on top of some of those things. Um, and it was like this, this fun, like city building game. Um, and, you know, and that was also my first experience of doing the whole like entrepreneurial um, sort of, you know, Silicon Valley, Sand Hill Road hustle, as I like to call it. So, you know, <laughs> trying to pitch to VCs. Ultimately, um, you know, it was uh, ultimately it didn't work out, even though I learned, you know, tons of great lessons from that. Um, and I'm really glad I did it. Uh, but yeah, it was, you know, it was a it was a great, really great time of just, you know, trying to trying to build something, something a bit different. Um, that was also the first year I talked it to come out and play in New York uh, about the thing I was building. Um, if you uh, if you remember sort of the early days of come out and play. Um, but yeah, so then after that. I think I sort of felt a little bit burned out uh, in, in for many reasons after um, that sort of startup didn't work out. Um, and so I was just like, you know, I just want to work on something uh, by myself. <laughs> That's uh, sort of a little bit of my own like creative control. Um, and so I was just, you know, hanging out in the indie scene in the UK um, and kind of word, uh, I got wind that um, uh, Cliff Harris, who, you know, of Positech Games, who had had successes at that time with gratuitous space battles and uh, the democracy games. 
um, he was looking to, um, you know, become a sort of micro indie, as we call it now, a micro indie develop, uh, publisher, as we call it now. So I ended up like pitching the idea that would become Redshirt to him. Uh, and he really loved it because he's a huge, uh, huge Star Trek nerd as well. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it just kind of went from there. So I really credit Cliff Harris um, of Positech to sort of for giving me that kind of first chance to sort of put just a little bit of kind of funding behind this kind of, you know, this idea I had. Can I ask you, like, when you looked at the sort of... Um the Sand Hill Road phase, right? And like being in that kind of whirlwind of like an emerging tech that everyone is raving about, which is, I think that's kind of standard for fundraising in the Bay Area. There's always a flavor of the month <laughs> and yeah. you're, you know, you're always kind of raising in the face of some ridiculous raise <laughs> around that flavor of the month, but then also trying to position yourself as unique and also worth investment. It's like, it's almost impossible not to be a follow on in, in those spaces, even a little bit, um, because most things are never really that new, right? Like yeah. you compare that, that experience to pitching Cliff, like what what was the what was the measurable difference for you, and like what do you what what was it about being in your own, in control of your own stuff that was really motivating you at that time? Because I, I definitely have those urges, you know, and so yeah. I'm really curious as someone who's experienced it yourself, like what. What was the contrast there for you and like, and how did it motivate you forward? You know, I think it was just, it was a day, like day versus night experience, like having sort of been in those, um, been in those sort of Silicon Valley VC pitch meetings versus pitching to somebody like Cliff, who, you know, was also just a solo indie developer who'd made it. Um, and he'd made a bunch of money with his games and he was looking to reinvest that. And so he really got what it was to be somebody who, um, you know, just had an idea that he, you know, happened to really like, um, you know, uh, so it was, it just felt like a really good sort of, um, just, you know, not trying to like prove myself to somebody, but more just like discussing some cool ideas. And I, and I look back on that and again, this is why I say credit to Cliff because, you know, I, I really do think I got super lucky with, um, the fact that he gave me a shot. And also I was lucky as well, uh, because, you know, I also I had the the, the backup of uh of, of I was also just doing my PhD program and so I had a little bit of kind of you know I had my scholarship with that to sort of keep supporting myself. Um, I was also uh you know living at home with my parents at the time. So you know and I always want to speak to those things because I think it's really important to yeah. um to call out the things that let us get to where we are. Um, and you know like in many ways my. My family being a, a traditional South Asian family in many ways, like liked the fact that I was living at home with them still in my <laughs> mid twenties. Um, but yeah, you know, those are all the things that made you know made me able to really spend like two years as I did building Redshirt. Yeah, I, mean, I think that that's just really interesting because I think as you continue to move through your career, you've had multiple opportunities to kind of take a take a stance and like a, in a position according to like power in the industry and how it works and like what, where money comes from and like, and, and like you, I think I have tried to sort of always keep one foot in mm -hmm. education and one foot in commercial gaming yeah. for, for various philosophical reasons. But I also think it's just really interesting once you get experience with a variety of funding situations and company setups that you start to get a sense that like there's no one way and there's certainly no easy way 
And so what, it must have been very healing in some ways to be able to leave something that hadn't worked out and then move on to something that you had a lot of control over just because it means that you still had forward momentum despite, you know, yeah, an ideal outcome, right? I'm, I'm glad you said the word healing because that's actually what it was for me. Um, and there were a couple of other things I'd like sort of noodled on just, you know, um, before that to try and just like work out some of my creative energy after, you know, this thing that hadn't worked out. Um, which ultimately, you know, I think that for me, uh, you know, to speak to some of the reasons that that first early startup, I think, um, you know, didn't work out. It's just, you know, I think it, 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 for me, it represented like making sure you have the same vision as your co-founders. For me, I was like the person who was like, well, I want to make, I want, I'm, I deeply love games and I want to make something that's like a playful, gameful experience. Um, and that wasn't necessarily the same page as my, my co-founders. So, yeah. you know, and that's why I'm glad that it didn't work out <laughs> because, you know, it wasn't going to, if it worked, didn't work out, then it wasn't going to work out longer term. So, yeah. you know, and so I just wanted to, that's why I was like, yeah, I just want to move away from that and do something that is very much a game <laughs> um, and could not be sort of, you know, turned into some, uh, like product as it were. Right. So that's, that, that's really how I was coming at it. And so by the time that I met you, you had launched red shirts. The mobile market was really starting to pick up. There was a lot more competition in the space. And if I recall correctly, at that point you were like, okay, well, I did my second thing and I learned a bunch of lessons there. And now I'm kind of like, maybe I should really like consider, moving forward in the academic space mm-hmm. so that I can continue to do research like this, but maybe without all of the market pressures that were associated with being in mobile at that time, because by then it was really getting competitive. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, um, and to be clear, like after, um, <laughs> so, you know, all of that time, I, my, my, uh, my parents were very much sort of uh, you know, on the, well, when are you going to finish your PhD <laughs> kind of, <laughs> kind of messaging? Uh, so, um, I was lucky enough that Redshirt did well enough that, you know, by that point, um, I could spend a year just finishing up my PhD. And that's what I did. Like Redshirt funded me finishing up, like being able to support myself for a year and finish my PhD. Um, and, you know, and, Actually, for me, at that point, I was kind of ready to be done in some ways with academia after spending that year in, in that space. Because um, I was just like, you know, I just want to make like, I'd really enjoyed like, you know, shipping Red Shirt. Um, and, you know, I was like, I just want to make games, you know, as an indie commercially now. Um, what ended up happening actually was I, you know, um, I ended up sort of applying actually to uh, to NYU Game Center because this, uh, you know, because I saw that there was an opening for an assistant arts professor. Um, funnily enough, and I don't often tell this story, but I wasn't sure about going for it initially um, because, you know, and and from a from a sort of self belief perspective, actually, from a like, well, like, do I am I good enough to do something like this? Like, I don't I don't know. Like, I probably need tons more experience. Um, and what happened was the day that the applications were about to close to apply for the um, for the position at NYU Game Center was the one day that uh, Gamergate came for me, um, and you know and I was lucky as well because I know you know obviously tons of 
tons of my colleagues and 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 friends and acquaintances have uh, had had much worse experiences than, than I have, of course, where, with you know with Gamergate. But you know the, the, that sort of eye of Sauron turned to me for 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 one day, and that was the day that applications were going to close for for NYU. And honestly, like it fueled me. That's what happened. <laughs> like it fueled me to sort of say, like I had all of these people, like you know, atting me about like not what you know, like all sorts of insults and how I shouldn't be in space. And I was just like, f you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. f you. Like I yeah. am going to be here. I love games. I'm gonna like make an impact in games, and so I'm applying for this job. And I like wrote up my entire application uh, in like a couple of hours that night. Uh, and yeah, ended up. Long story short, I ended up uh, ended up getting the role. So that's that's, kind of- that's amazing because I remember you were like in our first conversation, sort of saying like, you know, I think I have a shot at this. Like, yeah. you know, they've ca- they've called me for an interview. You know. And there was there was competition for the role, and I remember telling you like go for it, like this is an op- an awesome opportunity. But I had no idea that that was the that, that was, was the story was the how it came to be. Yeah, that's right because yeah. I called you to sort of say like yeah, should I do it? Should, should I, I not do it? it? Yeah. yeah, and I think you know one of my concerns as well was just being able to like keep making games as well on the side, um, uh, and you know, and luckily enough, and I know this is similar to what you do as well, but, you know, they very much, um, in, you know, they very much encourage all of us as faculty to be active practitioners. So, you know, I think that that was something that was super important to me um, so that I could have, you know, one foot in, in academia and in teaching um, and, and one foot in, you know, just work, making games commercially. Yeah, I mean, I think that this is the, the wisest um, games, research labs, and interactive sort of creative technologies programs. I think they recognize that the practice is the research and you need to be making games and learning in new technology spaces and studying interactivity to really to really push the envelope with your own teaching as well. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, we're both very lucky yes, <laughs> to, yeah. be, to be in those contexts. I, I think that they're, they're sometimes quite rare depending on the the nature of the university or the program itself. But, but it is actually something that we've, we've been lucky enough to have Jesse shell on the podcast as well. Who's, who's also been able to sort of craft a space, you know, between the two that integrates the two and where one practice feeds the other, which is awesome. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like mm-hmm. you're in, you're in London, you're living with your folks, you make your own money making this game, you finish your PhD, you get, you get the hat and the, and the, the puppy hat <laughs> and the puppy gown. And then you, um, and then you come to the United States and just move to, you move to New York city and start teaching in this new program. Like, was it, did it feel like a complete change of pace? Was it, I mean, you know, you were already in London. So like, you know, I mean, like what, what, what was that like for you? Like, like moving into, into that space? Um, it was, it was definitely a change of pace and it was, you know, a, a lot of different things happened at the same time as well. So I ended up, um, you know, being one of the co-founders of Spirit AI, um, around that time as well, which, you know, was a, you know, a games AI tools, uh, company that I co-founded prior to Glow Up. Um, and so, you know, I was, I was working on like a few different things in addition to really finding my feet with teaching. So, you know, I like, and that was, this was 2015. So I look at sort of that 2015 period, 2016 period is just like, 
it, I was incredibly busy. Like I was working a lot and I don't yeah. think I've actually ever stopped. <laughs> I really sort of set the pace for, for everything else. But like I said, I, you know, um, I, this is kind of a part of who I am that I need to be doing these different things. And honestly, for me, like all of these different strands of my roles, like, as you say, do feed into each other. Um, I think that being, being an active uh, game developer and practitioner just does make me a better teacher. And for me, teaching is also the way that I, you know, it's, it's, I know a lot of people talk about like giving back when it comes to teaching. Um, I feel like <laughs> it's probably going to sound bad. I feel like a little bit of like a lich when it comes to teaching. <laughs> I'll tell you why. It's because like I get energy from my students. I really do. Like I get energy for all the other things that I do when it comes to game design and, and, you know, and, and making games, um, just by, you know, being able to teach and mentor the next generation, because just, you know, you know what it's like, like sometimes this space can wear you down. Right. And you can get, um, in a place where you just need to like find that reset and like where that energy comes from for you. And for me, it does a large part of it comes from my students. Yeah, actually, I have an appointment later today with a grad student, and I'm really looking forward to it just because it's it's actually a, a totally random and, and like not necessarily game related thing, like a film, independent study film um, about um, actually about a, about a white supremacy group that lived up here in the Santa Cruz Hills. And so looking at the relationship between that group and Santa Cruz and stuff, and I'm like, you know, wow, let's talk about this and let's unpack this. I'm so excited to hear about the project. And that's not even really in line, you know, with the, with quote unquote normal <laughs> games research, if there is such a thing. But the, the, I think that you and I are probably like we've talked about many times, like on the spectrum, extremely interested in a lot of things, yeah. polymaths, you know, programmer, <laughs> artists, designers. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we really love being in the realm of ideas and feeding off that space of like collaboration and conversation, creative conversation, creative abrasion, problem solving, yeah. like actively moving through the world, um, trying to understand systems. And I think, you know, this is something that like when you just you you, you tend to kind of casually br- <laughs> breeze past things like, oh, and I co-founded Spirit AI, you know, these are like really <laughs> these are huge things, you know, like many people in the audience that are listening to you are probably getting ready to embark on a career and are, and are, and are thinking about this. And it's like, I think it's it's very important to hold space for the fact that like you got the puffy hat, you moved to New York City, then you also started a, a, a startup with people from a variety of of walks of, of industry, including people from IBM, right? Yeah, and that's you're, right. You're, you were like, you were by coastal in the like most extreme way. You were like living part-time in London and living yeah. part-time in New York City. Like your life was like jet set and like glamorous. I remember just thinking like, what a rock star. Like <laughs> how, is, how is me too doing it? You know, like when does she sleep? And then of course, later you realize like, as you start to have those those situations in your own life, you're like, oh, you just sleep on the plane. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You just sleep on the plane. Yeah. Remember, doing, remember planes. I'm just like, <laughs> I don't even, it's like a whole other life. 
It's true though, because yeah, with, with Spirit AI, yeah, um, I, I co-founded that company with people from, um, you know, senior people from IBM and also, you know, the thing that I love so much about having, you know, spent that time, um, you know, building those early days of Spirit AI were being able to work with people like Emily Short. So yeah, like we just, we, we ended up building like a really cool team. Um, I think like ultimately, you know, uh, I, I ended up, uh, you know, deciding in uh, 20, what was it? So like two years ago, basically, um, I ended up leaving and, uh, you know, co-founding Glow Up because I think the thing as well that I realized that I was kind of missing um, was, you know, so a lot of my time was going to, you know, being split between teaching and 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 the kind of stuff that I was doing, um, I was doing at Spirit AI, but, you know, I really did miss as well, like making, like just making games, right? Yeah, I was um, gonna say that same feeling of wanting to make something gameful versus like- Exactly. Not- it's interesting because yeah, I feel like I've had two phases like that in my career and sort of, um, yeah. And and that's yeah, that's definitely what led to, to glow up. And also I think increasingly, I, I guess I've had this sort of, uh, this sort of growing feeling as uh, I'd had this growing feeling as sort of the years were going by of, well, you know, I I definitely, you know, I love um, sort of working at the intersection of like playfulness and like whatever other cool like technical stuff I can get my hands on. Uh, but at the same time, you know, like I do care a lot about representation, as we talked about earlier. Like, you know, as a as a yeah. as a brown woman in games, um, it took a long time for me to come to that journey, actually. And I remember I gave a rant at twenty thirteen. Um, at GDC, uh, one of the one of the uh, game design rants, which was actually about um, sort of race representation, and I was terrified when I did that. I really was. So this was one of, um, yeah, like one of those those ten minute rants, and I remember umming and ahhing for ages because I was like, what am I like really angry about that I want to rant about? <laughs> and I remember, so this was the time when we were having more and more conversations about gender representation, but I could not see, I can hardly see anybody talking about race representation. And well, it, it takes felt, one to do it, right? I mean, this is part of the problem is that back then, maybe there weren't enough advocates in the space to, to speak to their true lived experience. Yeah. And, you know, there were definitely some people towards, you know, taught, having those conversations. Um, funnily enough, Latoya Peterson, who, uh, spoilers, later became my Glow Up Games co-founder. She was talking about it and she was writing about it. Um, but, yeah, I remember being terrified because I was like, well, because of all the conversations that are happening now about gender representation, I feel more comfortable actually talking about the fact that I'm a woman in the space, <laughs> in case you haven't noticed. But I don't feel comfortable talking about the fact that I'm a brown woman. Um, because, you know, I think that, oh, honestly, like, you, and you know this as well, but for survival, like, you end up sort of, you know, trying to make certain parts of yourself invisible, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you, you end up sort of making certain parts of yourself small. And so I had a whole journey with um, sort of, you know, being, uh, you know, being, being vocal about, uh, about the fact that I care about you know, that I care about being represented. It sounds so sad to say it, you know? know. It's like, do I deserve to be represented? I don't know. For the longest time, I thought I wasn't. And that's the thing that's so tragic. So, um, but yeah, I, you know, so by the time I came around to uh, founding Blow Up Games, I think just also being inspired by all of the things happening in, you know, adjacent spaces like TV and film where creators of color are being able to, 
tell our own stories more um, and feeling like simultaneously, I guess, inspired by and frustrated by the fact that, you know, that was happening, but it couldn't happen in the same way in games, um, you know, for all these like systemic issues. And so that's really why, you know, I got together with Latoya and we just, you know, we started this thing. Yeah, I was going to say that I am. Um... I feel like, you know, when I, my first game design rant was about gender and it was probably t- 10 years before that. It was like, yeah. So you, you know, have a similar journey with yeah, these things. Yeah, so yeah. It, was like, it was like in 2002, maybe. Yeah. And it was, yeah. Part, it was part of Frank Lance's rant and I just leased two minutes of it. So I felt so uncomfortable talking about gender that I only took two minutes of a white guy's rant <laughs> to talk about it. <laughs> and oh and it was gosh. actually a tongue in cheek presentation about the, um, some cheesecake photos that were aligning the walls of GDC as you walked in. And I just sort of said something like, you know, it's so great to be here and feel, you know, so, so represented, you know, equally. And of course it's great, you know, not to have anything in, in, in the conference hall that reminds me of the fact that my gender is considered less than, and the whole time Mm -hmm. I was doing it, I was just showing those images behind me, which I had taken photos of and put into a slide deck. Um, And the key criticism of it was that uh, that some women had made that that artwork, so it was wrong for me to criticize it. That was one of the pieces of feedback I got in the written feedback from that rant. But I remember being exceptionally concerned about it, and that was just a two minute rant. So you know, bravo to you for taking taking it on and giving voice to that to that topic at that time. I know it was it was not easy, and we've had many discussions about this in general, just like how to be oneself without making that part of oneself small. And this can happen inside of a company. It can happen inside of a community, right? There are so many ways in which people can feel invisible or silenced mm-hmm. or, or or not celebrated, you know, which is one of the reasons why I always try to brag about every single thing you've done <laughs> because, <laughs> because you've done so many amazing things. It's like, I really want to, you know, shine a light on the fact that despite that sort of feeling internally, you were always taking risks. You were always trying to do something great, you know? And sometimes great things don't work out and that's fine, but right, like it's better than being bored for sure you <laughs> yep. know, to have the adventure. And like when you, when you finally decided to go with Glow Up, like, like how you had had this experience of pitching, right? You'd already been in the VC space, you'd done technology, you know, sort of technology gamification and or, you know, playful technologies. You've, you'd also done stuff to look at communities and and AI and, and management mm-hmm. of, of these spaces, like um, how did you how did you sort of define glow up with Latoya? Like what was that conversation? Yeah. Like? You know what was so interesting is that when Latoya and I got together, it's because, you know, she she and I, um, and this is back when she was at uh, Disney and ESPN. Um, so she was doing a lot of cool creative stuff from um, you know, the uh, from like a digital producer's side on uh, there. She was, she was like doing video. She was doing, um, uh, she, yeah, she was just doing a lot of cool projects and she, um, you know, she and I were basically brunch buddies <laughs> because she would come to New York pretty often uh, <laughs> or we'd see us, see each other in like different cities. And we would just talk about the sort of shared uh, love we had for, um, you know, for AI and for like VR and AR. And, you know, it was, it was interesting because when we got together, we were sort of coming at it from the angle of, hey, we're uh, both like, you know, just just creative technologists uh, and designers who, you know, are really interested in telling like interesting stories. And it was sort of, you know, 
it wasn't necessarily a, okay, we're going to start a company to like really change the picture of diversity in the, in the, in the, in the games industry. Uh, but it was more of a, like, it's going to, the stories we tell are going to be diverse just by virtue of like who we are. Um, and you know, if we, if we're starting a company from the ground up, like how would that look different than what is sort of, you know, traditionally out there. But as we sort of continued on our journey, um, it was interesting because we, we didn't see ourselves as being a company who would uh, work on sort of third party IP ever, but the opportunity came along to work on, um, a tie-in game for HBO's TV show Insecure. And so we ended up sort of, you know, having discussions about that and then jumping on that because one of the things we realized is that um, if you look at the sort of um, ecosystem of tie-in games for, um, you know, TV shows, it's, you know, it's always the white TV shows that get the most sort of support. Yeah. You don't see oh, um. black and brown. Yeah, like you don't see black and brown shows getting anywhere near the same level of sort of tie-in games or comics or whatever. So we were like, you know, just from a philosophical perspective, it's so important for us to support uh, like what Issa Rae is doing, because she's absolutely one of these people that is, you know, changing the way in Hollywood, et cetera. So we we decided that it would be a really great way for us to, um, you know, plant the flag for who we care about. Um, and, you know, so it's been a really wonderful journey working on that game. But honestly, one of the other things it's taught us is that, you know, the the, the sort of journey we've been on as we've defined Glow Up Games over the last couple of years, we've realized this problem goes deeper than we even imagined when it comes to the ecosystem of yeah. funding, when it comes to the ecosystem of data that's available about yes. like marginalized players. Um, and so these are all things that we're now trying to address because we're like, you know, the games industry has been dropping the ball on marginalized audiences for such a long time because they sort of know we're here, but then they don't really care that we're here. You know, yeah. So that's kind of uh, the way that we're coming at it. So we're, um, yeah, we're really excited to have built a really amazing team. Um, you know, we're about uh, nine or 10 people now. And yeah, it's, um, it's been tough, but we're, you know, we're doing it. We're doing the thing. Well, and that, that's actually, you know, I think I had, I've been having a lot of thoughts lately about this as, as, you know, as I look out over 2020 and 2021, and even to some extent 2019, right? Like the latter half of 2019 was also kind of challenging for a variety of reasons. And, you know, there's kind of like in the games industry narrative, there tend to be two narratives. And one is, you know, I founded a studio uh, on my own and I made a hit game and now I'm just trying to take that prestige and that money and continue to make hits. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of multiple paths off that vector. And, you know, some of them were like, never did as well as the first game. Some are like followed up, but nobody ever really loved anything else. Like it's kind of like the, the, the rock band analogy, you know, where it's like, yeah. well, the band had, a, you know, I don't know, everything after, you know, uh, disintegration is awful, you know, or what, whatever you're going to say about the cure, you know, like, you know, th there are some people that just are purists and so on. And, and there's like a lot of auteurism and like privilege in that narrative. And then also mm -hmm. like just, yeah, like, you know, people saying like, this is how I've lived as an artist. And you think like, well, actually you have parents that you inherited a massive yeah. mm -hmm. and you live in a huge penthouse. Like, what do you mean? You know, you live as an artist, like you live as a you know, you live as someone who lives off of that privilege, right? But at the same time, there are these other narratives that are like, I am a serial entrepreneur, or I am someone who is like, 
the way that I like to position myself is like, I'm really interested in the blue ocean and the bleeding Mm -hmm. edge and like the places that people are too afraid to go because they probably won't be profitable, but if they are, they'll be hugely profitable, you know? Right. Yeah. Spaces. I think you and I are both drawn to that that second narrative. But as I was saying, it has vectors off of it. And one of them is nothing that I try works out, right? <laughs> you know, like everything is hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's always more problems than I want to address. And like, where are you in your in your journey now? Like you've been with Glow Up a couple of years, which like I remember when Phenomena was just a couple of years old, feeling like, wow, this is way more work than I thought it was going to be. I'm making way more mistakes than I thought I would make. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely wish that I, money would fall out of the sky and just be in my bank account. Like yep. every morning I wake up wishing like, you know, several million dollars would just arrive from the store, like a nice, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> and, just, and then I could just use it, you know, to yeah. solve all my problems. But as I've gotten older and moved further and further into that career, it's, it's really become more of like a, there are waves and you surf the waves and if you have a good day, you have a good day. If you have a bad day and your board hits you in the face a couple of times, you have a bad day and like learn to, to, to be a little more forgiving, I guess. So like, where are you in that space? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we, it's been a hard two years. It really has. Um, and you know, one of those years was a pandemic year, which on top of everything else was not, uh, you know, I'll say this, like we've almost died as a company, like several times, like at least 10 times. Yes. And, you know, but that's part of, that's part of the journey. And the fact that we're still here um, and we're growing, in fact, is something that I'm, you know, immensely proud of. Um, But it also, you know, I I know that it continues to be hard work. Um, You know, I've had multiple people, uh, you know, who've run successful startups before say, uh, which is the thing I really believe, which is that, you know, the problems never go away. They just turn into different problems and come faster and yeah. and like, yeah, just turn into sort of, you, know, you get more used to dealing with, with certain types of problems. And that's definitely been true. So, you know, I think that we're, we're in a sort of interesting position right now in that we're sort of a few months away from uh, from finally being able to ship our first game as glow up games. Um, and, you know, I think that once that's done, you know, that's going to, um, you know, allow us to actually, you know, you know, walk the walk, walk the walk, the walk that we've been talking about. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to do that and you know, really excited that we get to do it in partnership with HBO and with um, with Issa Rae, who's also, you know, an investor in the company now. Um, yeah. But, you know, along along the way, it's been interesting because, yeah, as you say, you wish that a million dollars would just fall into your lap. But at the same time, the thing that we've thought about a lot is, um, you know, who we're bringing on this journey with us in terms of investors. Um, so, you know, in some ways it's it's good that, you know, a million dollars perhaps didn't fall into our lap from the wrong people at the beginning. For, for yeah, instance. that's a very important thing to remember and to keep in mind. Yeah. And instead, you know, we've had to go through uh, what feels like a slog sometimes, honestly, of like, you know, fundraising and taking smaller checks. And, you know, what's interesting is somebody um, told me like probably about 18 months ago, like six months, I'd say, into the glow up journey that I shouldn't raise small angel checks because a year from that point, the company would be dead. Um well, which, that's, which, a, that's an interesting perspective. <laughs> it's an intro. I mean, it's from it was from a VC, uh, a nice, a seemingly nice VC. Um, always full of opinions. Yeah, always full of opinions. But 
And so I was very much, you know, you read all the founder books, you read all the business books and you sort of, you know, you're told like, oh yeah, you know, you have to set your minimum check size to something like pretty large because otherwise you're going to spend all your time. And I was like, yeah, I get it. I get why people say that. But at the same time, it's true that you raise money from where you can raise money and you build a sort of cohesive family of investors who support yeah. you along the way and that's been the thing that we've been able to do um like we're proud to say as well like emily greer is one of our investors she's been yeah, she's so amazing great. and like you introduced me to her actually robin so yeah she's she's been incredible um but yeah i mean that's that's really what i'll say is that it's been a hard journey but we're but it's feeling like you know things have we definitely had just a hard time during, you know, during the pandemic year, during COVID. Um, you know, Latoya is a, my co-founder Latoya is it, <clears throat> excuse me, um, a mother of uh, a seven-year-old. So yes. she's been doing the whole like, you know, pandemic parenting thing, which on top of running a game startup is like yeah. a lot. Um, but we're here, you know, we're doing it. And um, Absolutely. I mean, I think that this is like the, the, the sensitivity that I think we have as smaller companies and startups um, in general, you know, during a pandemic time is, is really about those, those hiccups in the family lives of the people that we lean on the most because mm -hmm. there's always an infinite number of things to do and not enough time to do them. Um, when you're undercapitalized. But I also think it's so fascinating and important to kind of call out this this um, this issue with the idea of a small check or a big check or like, you know, um, like what I've heard is like a lot of small checks just confuses your cap table, you know, and mm -hmm. makes you, it makes it look bad. And, you know, I haven't taken a lot of small checks, but like the people that I've taken smaller checks from are very important to me because yeah. they've mm -hmm. done amazing things like found Slack or whatever, you know, and like, yeah. this is, this is like, you, there are some people that you just want in your, in your bus, you know, yes. um, yeah. kind of, kind of sort of kibitzing and like backseat driving a little bit because they've been on the journey before and they're yeah. too exhausted to really try, but they, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely give you the like, Hey, that's a big rock up there. You should probably turn left. 100%. And, like, yeah. That's, that's yeah, that's what we've been able to build. Like we've, uh, we, you know, and I can't wait until, um, you know, we're at a point where we can sort of uh, announce sort of more fully, like who's going to be on our cap table, because I'm also just proud of what a diverse cap table it is. Um, yeah. So yeah, and you know, it's taken longer, but it, it's worth it because as you say, you get the right people who are in your corner. So when you think about like this sort of space and like thinking about iterating towards something successful across a variety of of vectors. Like I sometimes get the feedback that like, uh, you know, to build a business, you shouldn't focus on the company. You should focus on, you know, other things. Like to what extent have you really tried to make this about being able to support one another and create an encouraging environment mm -hmm. for, you know, for black women, for brown women, mm -hmm. you know, for, for, for people of color, for queer yeah. folks, like to what extent have you really like, made this part of the mission and if and if you could talk about it a little bit like why yeah totally um you know the thing that we always say is that we're not only trying to change representation of like what's on the screen but also behind the scenes we're also not just trying to you know i think some people who definitely don't get it are just like oh you're just taking like 
existing uh, kinds of like game systems and just like putting uh, putting black and brown avatars in instead, just like color, you know, like just color swapping them. And which isn't true at all. Like we're building games from the ground up, which are deeply rooted in our various cultural experiences. Um, so, you know, the, um, you know, the insecure game, for instance, is a, uh, uh, has a, has a large sort of like freestyle rap, uh, creation component to it, oh, wow. uh, which, yeah, I was really excited about that. And also, you know, our, our lead, uh, our sort of director of audio and lead rap designer, uh, is an actual rapper, um, Samus, who, uh, you know, is a, is a, is a sort of amazing uh, uh, rapper in her own right with her own following and everything. But, you know, we've been able to bring people on this journey with us who, you know, represents the kind of future that we want to see in games. And often what that means as well is, you know, focusing a lot on mentorship, focusing a lot on, you know, investing in, in, in people who, you know, perhaps um, wouldn't have, you know, wouldn't have uh, automatically been able to um, sort of, you know, wouldn't like necessarily like, you know, thrive in like toxic AAA type environments, right? So I think that, you know, trying to build opportunities for people, build a pipeline that we can, you know, where we can help people find their feet in the industry as well. Like we have, you know, because of wearing the NYU Game Center hat, like we have a very active like internship program, um, you know, yeah. which, which where with, with some of our students, um, so one of our students who, you know, was an intern for, um, you know, for for a semester and a summer um, at Glow Up, Geneva Hayward, they ended up um, like they work for us part time around school. Um, they graduate next year. Um, but yeah, so, you know, just trying to uh, trying to just, you know, build towards honestly, like the the industry that we want to see. Yeah, I mean, I think this is so it's so important. And like in your in your time, uh, you know, like pulling from the circle of founders and stuff like, you know, I know you've worked with Manveer, like who are some of the people that you have yeah. have really learned from and who, who've been helpful that you can give a shout out to just to give people out there an idea of like where that network is headed? Because I think that's also something that's important for people. 100. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, 100%. I'm really glad you asked that because, yeah, like, uh, Manve Hare is, like, one of my best friends. Um, and, you know, as he was start, so he's, you know, the founder now of uh, Brass Lion Entertainment together with um, with Brian Adabi Smith and, uh, and, and Rashad. And basically what the what the uh sort of what the, the the messaging is from people who well i guess I'll, I'll i'll frame it this way right so when we've pitched glow up before in the past to people who quite frankly did not get it right so often these were investors yeah. in like tech etc they would say things like um oh well what if another company comes along and you know starts putting brown avatars in their games or what if epic <laughs> starts putting brown avatars in their games and i was just like well good <laughs> like that's what we want um so uh, yeah like you know and like asking us to like list competitors in terms of like diverse game companies and it's like you're missing the point like what we want to see is yeah what's more the of competitive this. landscape of, of brown yeah. in the games industry exactly. it's like it's not really on that level man. i love it yeah the competitive landscape of brownness but no brass lion are doing their thing and you know they we call them like we call them our our, our sister company in a lot of ways because you know 
know, we're very close with all of them. We talk all the time. Um, and so, yeah, we see ourselves as, as part of this wave of, uh, of, of people who are doing the thing, right? And often people who've been in, around the game, in and around the game space for a while who are now like, you know, just, just doing the thing when it comes to, uh, you know, building, building your own company. Um, you know, the support as well of, of, uh, of people like Eka, um, Shandana, Eka Naye. So yeah, just like, so great. And, you know, and just, I'm, I'm so grateful to, to, to know, you know, to know everybody in those spaces. And really it is, it is about finding your network and it's about finding your people and it's about finding, you know, the, the support circles that are going to help you get to where you need to go. Cause it is such a hard journey. Yeah. I mean, I think that in the, in the long run, we, we hope to see, you know, the timelines for people to get into the industry and into positions of authority where they're able to bring their full selves to work and make, make, you know, decisions that are impacting gameplay and the, the look and feel of games. Like, you know, we want that to move from being a 20-year journey to a 15-year journey and now to like a five-year journey, right? And so it's like, it's really important, you know, in, in both of our companies and I think, mm-hmm. you know, Manbeer as well, like, you know, this this work you talked about of um, the way we think of it is, is it's almost deprogramming mm-hmm. and de-escalating the, the cost of of hidden bias, you know, unconscious, you know, but very present racism in people's perspectives and the ways they conduct themselves at the office that have impacted people before they even come to your doorstep, right? Like so many students and so many, you know, yeah. new experience this like this wave of of microaggression and like not being taken seriously or like the worst is someone who's very senior who's been in the industry for a very long time being treated like a baby you know like they don't understand what's mm-hmm. going on like i have seen your black colleagues in gaming who 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 have to sort of interrupt to be to be experts which is absurd you know yeah. and like the same thing with the funding landscape right like this idea that you would have to create the competitive landscape in this way which would just never come up in any other pitch by a by a by a a, a white person or a white man, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's like, it's very bizarre. What if there are actually- other white avatars in games? <laughs> <laughs> and really just think about how absurd the workload is <laughs> of having to, A, having to endure that question, B, answer it, C, like have an argument about it. Mm-hmm. Like it, like you said, it, it takes up space. It it makes this this thing which was invisible, the racism of the person involved, very visible and present in the room. And it turns them from an ally into someone that is now like a- the antithesis of that. You know, someone who's really adding pressure and focused to things that don't make sense. And yeah, like, it's so it's so critical to work against this. This this also reminds me of um so I want to want to also shout out to Brie Code um who you know she's doing uh you know amazing things with her company True Love and I saw her tweeting recently she had a Twitter thread about um basically like the the trauma of fundraising was at least one of the tweets in there. And yeah, you know, and that was really that. yeah and like you know I think that that's something that you know, it, it gave me pause because it's something I feel, but it's not something that I uh, have like let myself frame as trauma, if that makes sense before. Uh, and, you know, and, and it really gave, and I think that's something we don't talk about enough, right? So fundraising as a, you know, as a traumatic process. Yeah. 
Yeah, actually, the competitive nature of it, the way that people in the space often really engage in a lot of gossip and like open ended speculation, speculation about like why things happen. Like, I actually find the environment of people raising money just in and of itself full of what, you know, Stephen Covey would call quadrant four behaviors, Hmm. you know, like over, over anxiousness, like self-serving perfectionism, you know, idle, idle chatter and idle speculation and gossip about people who are more successful than you or who are failing. Like it seems very, very socially kind of mean girls in a way that I, that I've never really understood. And then it's been so refreshing over the last two years, like to have people like Emily, my friend Jill, and 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 you and others in the space to actually have an open conversation about it. I I was in a conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone who who literally said, as VC, we're educating ourselves about the abysmal ratio of investment in women and women of color and people of color. You know, there is a real problem in our industry and we want to fix it. And like, Mm -hmm. that was the first time anyone has ever said anything like that to me in the 20 years that I've been in the business. I thought, wow, like that's a huge change. And then the question, of course, is, well, will it really result in concrete change? Yeah, I think that's the big, you know, and I think a a lot of people love to talk a big game about that, especially, you know, the last year and a lot of people obviously made a lot of, you know, premises in the in the wake of um in the wake of George Floyd and everything that happened around racial justice last summer and honestly like we've this is where where I say traumatic right because we've pitched to VCs who have openly said oh we are like making a commitment to fund uh black people and especially black women and like you know and then won't even like consider, you know, consider me in the toilet, right? Yeah. And, and it's like, you know, and, and they'll say a lot, a lot of things about like, well, we just don't fight. We can't find anyone to pitch to us. And it's like, we're here. Um, So it's, you know, it's stuff like that. And a lot of it, you know, I I brush off a lot of it, you know, Um, you have to, you have to, you have to. And, you know, it's a, that's a continuation of the kinds of uh, survival that we do as marginalized folks, right? Like you sort of, you know, you keep going no matter what. Um, but I think it is, you know, these are the things that, you know, add up over time. And it's important to be able to sort of take a moment and say, no, you know, this stuff is traumatic. This stuff is hard. And, you know, you need to make space for kindness for yourself and, you know, space to celebrate the small wins. Yeah, I've actually found a lot of um, encouragement over COVID through the Instagram wallpaper positivity artists, you know, Mm -hmm. like, hello, my name is Wednesday. A lot of it is like queer or trans related, but like, it's just focusing on this notion of like, you deserve to rest, you deserve the space to be creative. (laughs) Like, not everyone can just get up every morning and do 12 hours of phone calls and emails and fundraising without wanting to just like punch their partner in the face or like kick their dog or like just cry. Yeah. And well, something I think about, something I think about a lot, Robin, actually, is something that you've said to me many times. And I know this is something you say to to a lot of people, which is your your mantra of I'm doing the best I can. And (laughs) I actually like have like, I honestly, like I, I say that to myself a lot, especially in times when it gets hard, because as you've told me before in our many chats, like that is, that like I am literally doing the best I can. Like that's literally what's happening, you know. Um, so yeah. yeah, 
So I'm I'm grateful to you for that that piece oh, of well, that piece well, of that is, that is very sweet. I mean, I think that you know, if if anything, I'm grateful to you because I get a lot of insight from your experiences as a woman of color, as an immigrant, as someone who's lived in two communities as a, you know, as a person trying to both index into, but also hold perspective on those communities, Yeah, you know, your whole life. Um, and, you know, also two countries, like thinking about how that feels and like, and, and understanding, like, I think the very first time we spoke, you know, you, you were still very, very young and you had been making a lot of your life invisible and parts of yourself invisible just to get through it. And we had that moment where I was like, listen, if everything is so awesome, then you don't need me. (laughs) You don't don't need my help if, if everything is going great. And that was when we were able to kind of get to the meat of whatever was bothering you at that time. And I Mm -hmm. think it's so hard for us to be vulnerable and trusting when the environment around you is constantly saying, yes, but not you. Yes, yeah. but not this idea. Yes, but not this brown. Or yes, but not this black. Like yeah. somewhat black, but not black, not too black. Or this is black, but not black enough. You know, they're, yeah. they're, these are conversations that black creators have been telling us they've been having for a long time about their movies, their books, their comic books, you know, their, you know, their Black Panthers, you know. <laughs> you know these things don't just happen the way that they can Mm-hmm. in other contexts. And I think that you've been, honestly, I mean, I believe you are exceptional in your ability to both pivot and constantly stay up to speed with what's happening in the industry and to continue to always be at the forefront, but also to 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 continue to give back. Like, I mean, people always say like, how do you do it? And I say, well, I'm doing the best I can. I think the, the other thing is, is I'm doing it because I care and, and you, mm-hmm. you too really do care. Yeah, 100%. And thank you for saying all that. That's really kind of you. Um, But yeah, no, it's interesting because yeah, I do care. I do care a lot. And, you know, I think that one of the things, um, yeah, what you're saying about sort of, you know, being able to be vulnerable is, is very true. And this is why I'm like, I'm grateful to you for like creating that, for, for, you know, giving me that space um, to be able to do that because yeah, you do, I think as somebody who, doesn't fit the mold of, you know, of who is usually represented within games. Um, you put up this sort of like, no, like I know, like you have to sort of project this sense of like, confidence. you know, impenetrableness, right? Yeah. yeah. This confidence, impenetrableness of like, you know, of no, there are no, you know, there is no vulnerability here because you, because people doubt you so much, right? So you have to do that. And so, yeah, as you say, it is difficult to, I'll put that down sometimes. And one of the things that I'm trying to do more of is, um, you know, is, is try to be more vulnerable with like, you know, with, uh, you know, just, just in general, like, and, you know, and stuff like social media and, you know, because I think people tend to make assumptions about like the ways that you are or aren't struggling, you know, like I post, I'm definitely somebody who's like, oh yeah, I'll post about my successes, but I don't post about my, you know, like I post about my <laughs> W's, not my L's, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, that's something that, you know, in thinking about the next generation of developers coming up, they need to see that humanness. They need to see that vulnerability because they need to know that they can, that, you know, that this can be them, right? Yeah, actually, it's so, it's so true. And I was, I was giving a talk actually recently at, um, at, um, at a, at a small advocacy group um, for, uh, for women in gaming and tech uh, called Hackbright Academy. And one of the, 
one of the girls in the audience asked me after my little brief, you know, this is how I got here, but you know, these are the privileges. And so, you know, don't expect the ladder to be the same. And also it's changed. I give that little bit of talk, um, which I actually first wrote for speaking at NYU at your game center. Hmm. And, and she, she said, you know, so I really admire you for being an entrepreneur and I don't think I can do it, but what would you say are the, the key sort of strengths that every entrepreneur should have. And I actually was like, I just don't believe there is any such thing. Like yeah. markets are incredibly dynamic and diverse. You could be an entrepreneur in literally any space. Um, the only thing that it takes is you wanting to do it and then believing that you can and like doing the best you can. Like, yeah, there's a lot of literature out there that is like, this is how I succeeded. So you will too, if you do exactly as I say, and then you go, well, wait a minute. You started your investment firm in 1969, you know, when the United States dollar was at its highest value of all time or, you know, whatever, whatever privileges that they had historically, locationally, you know, racially, gender wise mm -hmm. and so on. Like, yeah, it's awesome that, you know, you graduated and went to HBR and then you ended up being hired into this firm at Wall Street and slayed the commodities market or whatever it is that you did. Like those are not helpful, right? And it's only the people that broadcast their failures and talk about how little they actually knew to start with, especially statistically. We're so bad, right? I mean, you know this. People are so bad at numbers. We're, we mm -hmm. suck at small math, but we also suck at large math. Yeah. We have terrible rules of thumb. This is where most of our bias comes from. And like living as a person who knows this is it's incredibly important to sort of share with the people around you and in the, the next generation that like yeah, those are just bogus rules of thumb and they don't really say anything about you. They say a lot about lack of education in the space, lack of awareness. Yeah, yeah. Lack of 100%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, it's funny you saying, because uh, one thing I do want to add to uh, your sort of reflections on what makes, you know, what skill should a great entrepreneur have. For me, I would say it's actually resilience. Like I think the number one skill that entrepreneurs need and also, quite frankly, the skill that should get funded the most is resilience, because ultimately, <laughs> that's like how your money is going to work out as an investor, right? You need a com you need a company that is going to be able to keep going. Um, and honestly, this is where the sort of uh, the way that this stuff works is so messed up, because who, you know, that's not the way that investors think. They don't think about resilience in the way that they need to be because who are the, who has necessarily historically had to be the most resilient? It's marginalized people, you know? Yes. So this is why, um, you know, this is why I like fund, fund marginalized creators, you know, like we are the most, we are the most resilient in, in many ways because we've had to be. Yeah, I've had some very charming conversations with people more recently that are not really in the VC space, but who really cherish the idea of longevity and, you know, uh, investing in the future of the planet and like understand that games and the systems that we build inside of games can educate the future generations to collaborate creatively and solve problems, much like the the story at the very beginning of the interview, right? Like this is actually, mm. I mean, game design is a skill because it's design and like game design is really systems design and mm -hmm. systems thinking and thinking about systemic outcomes. And this is exactly the kind of logic that helps us you know, decolonialize, uh, you know, promote anti, um, uh, to, to promote actions, uh, you know, that are, that are anti-racist and like mm -hmm. pro-queer and pro-woman and, you know, pro-black, like you have to actually understand how the systems fight against that. Yeah. And 
this is what game designers do, right? It's what our students do. It's what we do. And it's what makes it so important. And I just, I just think that when you look at, you know, you know, <laughs> Dr. Kandeker's like, you know, like career, you know, you have had so many wins. And I think that that it really does stack up, you know, the little owls that you maybe don't that you don't share as often, but that you that you have survived through have have really stacked up to what is already like a really phenomenal career. And I just I just want to you know say that I think that you sh- you should be and are certainly to me, but to, to to so many others, you should really be held up as an example of someone who has stayed resilient in the face of these challenges and has pushed so hard to make a, a positive difference. It's really it's excellent. Well, thank you, <laughs> thank you for it's saying really that. It's really true. So when are we going to get to see this game? When does it come out? So it's going to come out to coincide with the next season uh, of Insecure. Um, So we're going to be soft launching before that. So, um, but yeah, certainly, certainly this year. So it'll be out this fall. Yay. That's fantastic. A preemptive congratulations and a huge, like the wind at your back, like may it, may it go smoothly. You know, may all of your investors be able to just like celebrate with an ear to ear grin on having made a fantastic bet on a fantastic team, fantastic franchise and a fantastic creator. I think you're, you're really making waves out there. Me too. I really, I appreciate you. And thank you. Thank you for spending this hour with us in your busy schedule. I know, I know you're, you're, you're probably too busy to take a nap, but if you get the time, please do. Yeah, no, I'm just going to go straight. I'm opening up Unity again after this and I'm going straight back in. So, <laughs> but um, no, I've, uh, I've, I always, always cherish talking to you and, you know, you've, uh, yeah, I, I, you know, just there's so many, so many shared touch points, I think, between our experiences. Um, so, you know, always, always love relating those to you. So, yeah, thank you for this time. Yes, thank you so much. And, uh, and with that, uh, we'll close it out. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you again soon. Thank you for joining us for the Game Makers Notebook. For more information on the Academy of Interactive Arts and Sciences, our podcasts, and our other initiatives, please visit www.interactive.org.